And welcome back, spooky people. This is That Spooky Life, and I am your host, Miranda, and I am happy that you have decided to join our slide to the in-between this week. A few weeks ago, I had promised you guys a surprise, hopefully. I wasn't sure at the time it was going to come to pass. It took a little bit of planning and a lot of coordination, especially to do so safely in the current state of the world. But it did come to pass, and the surprise that I was promising you guys was that recently I had the opportunity to visit and stay for the weekend at Inspiration House in Overland, Ohio. If you guys have not heard of Inspiration House, it is on Airbnb listed as a cozy haunted retreat, and I can assure you that it certainly is. It is an old house in the historic district of Overland, Ohio. And it comes fully equipped with EVP recorders, a Ouija board. There's all kinds of things to do, paranormal investigations, and it is quite the active little house. Spooky friend of the show, Kat, and I decided to meet some friends in a safe, social distanced environment. We were all vaccinated. It was the quarantine, as it were. And it was an awesome epic road trip time as well. We made the joke while staying there that within the first couple of hours of everybody being there, that I was going to have enough material for the podcast for like numerous episodes. Well, guess what? This is going to be at least a two, possibly a three part series because each day, basically, things happened that, yeah, no, each day probably is going to fill an entire episode. So stay tuned because this is going to be the first of numerous parts. I'm not sure how many yet. So we're on this ride together, and I am hoping that you are looking as much forward to it as I am. But we're going to start at the beginning. There were a couple of things that Kat and I were working on going up over the weekend. Lots of necessary breaks in the routine, and though safely socializing, it was really good to actually see people, hang out with people. And we had some work that we were doing as well. We do some graphic design stuff together. We're part of the same marketing team. And because we had a fairly long drive, Kat and I started out a day early. Well, we ended up having like three and a half hours tacked onto our drive due to finding parking lots in the middle of the interstate, aka traffic, quite frequently. And it almost became like a joke after a while, like the third or fourth slowdown to almost a full stop on the interstate where you're like, come on. But it also meant that we got in after midnight and on this quiet little street, in an unassuming town. We pull into the driveway of Inspiration House, and I had a moment of seeing a fleeting shadow. I was like, oh, well, it's probably the headlights reflecting off of something, moving a shadow, etc. Until I looked up, and the location to whence I had seen the shadow fleet, there seemed to be a head and shoulders peeking out from behind the carriage house that's been sort of turned into a garage. And then it booped away behind the corner when I actually focused on it and looked for a moment. And that was just pulling into the driveway. I was like, okay, we're we're setting a tone here. The house itself has a feel about it. It's a beautiful historical house. And when you're greeted by, you know, a fleeting shadow as you're driving down the driveway, you sort of get the idea that active might be an understatement when you're greeted by the ghosts just going out on a limb there. So we get there, get some immediately necessary stuff out of the car and approach the lockbox with the key, which was kind of a comedy of errors and put up a little bit of a, put up a little bit of a struggle for us. 
So I'm holding some stuff. My arms are full and Kat is wrestling with the lockbox to try and get the key situated. And I'm looking around and I'm trying to see if I can see my little fleeting shadow buddy again. And I was like, okay, so there's the carriage house and there's the backyard. Oh, there's stairs on the back. Obviously, that's up to the creator suite. And as I'm observing this, a light comes on on the side of the house. And I think to myself, well, we haven't flipped any switches. Probably a motion activated light. What's up there? that's moving. Now, is that potentially explainable? Bird? Bat? Something? Maybe. Put a pin in that one and remember it for later, though. That light became, well, sort of a little superstar over the weekend with its timing. And of course, I watched it go off again. We get in the house, set everything down, go back to get suitcases and things like that. And as I'm getting things out of the car again, I kid you not, I thought I saw a silhouette of a person. Tangible enough that it wasn't like, oh, my third eye or my peripheral vision. No, I glanced because I saw movement and then had to do a double take. And by the time I did a double take, it was gone. It looked like there was a person standing in the second story of the carriage house watching us. It actually made like the hair on my arms stand up. And I pointed it out to Kat and it was amusing because Kat was like, oh yeah, no, something's been watching us this whole time. I asked if we should, you know, be concerned if there was someone in there and she just smiled and shook her head. No, it doesn't have a body. I was like, okay, just, just making sure. And we went inside and unpacked our things and got everything up because I stayed in the creator suite and it was lovely. So stepping outside, once we had gotten some things settled, to enjoy the evening air and just relax and unwind before deciding to go to bed, the porch, there's like a little small mini deck up at the door of the creator suite up those same stairs with that same light. And as we walk outside, the light comes on. So we think, okay, it is motion activated. And I'm talking to Kat about, yeah, I saw it come on when we were unlocking the door. She's like, yeah, but it's motion activated. I was like, I know that's my problem. There was nothing up there that we're aware of, and it turned on. She was like, huh. So as we're talking, we are observing the carriage house to see if we can see or sense anything odd going on over there, and the light goes out. Well, we had assumed that it was because we weren't moving. So I wave my arms and try to trigger the motion sensor, and nothing happens. Cat waves her arm in front of the light, seeing if from her angle it'll do it, and nothing happens. The light doesn't come back on again. And so we're standing there in the dark, looking at this incredibly haunted, like, two-story garage. We're like, huh, that's not spooky or anything. It was. It was very, very spooky. While we're standing out there and having these conversations, the light randomly comes back on for a moment. And then we hear a click. And we realize the door that has a keypad, so we didn't necessarily need a key. We, we knew the code. The door to the creator suite, of which we had come out, had closed and locked. Now, it's an auto lock, so it's not like somebody was standing inside and, like, turned a lock or anything. If it closes, it locks. But we had intentionally not closed it in order to go back in easily. And there it was. It came all the way to. Now, there was not really a breeze that night, so it wasn't air pressure from the outside. And no one else had arrived yet. She and I were the first people to arrive, and we were going to be the only people who arrived that evening. And the door pushed all the way shut to lock us out right after the light came on. So we're confused by this little this little porch light scenario happening. But we had the code, got back in, and downstairs is a lovely little room. 
that is referred to as the museum room. And there are a number of haunted artifacts, dolls, different knickknacks here and there, mostly dolls. There are books on, you know, the paranormal, a whole library, sort of like a, a small collection of an occult library that I very much appreciate. There's tarot cards in there, psychic aptitude cards. It's really lovely. It's a nice little collection on display for people who visit the museum or visit Inspiration House to see. This is also where the paranormal investigative equipment is kept. I didn't know this. And Kat says to me, I want you to see this room. So she's standing there and the light is not on. And I walk up to it and immediately have a sense of tension. I have no idea what's in there. I didn't know that this was there. So I didn't have like a front loaded preconceived notion of what I was about to walk into. I thought it was going to be like a little parlor or like one of the bedrooms or something. And that was not the case. I walked up to it and I felt like that weird pressure in your chest and like the tingling up your back that I was like, so something, something's on the other side of that door. And she's just standing there grinning at me with her hand in a dark room about to turn the light on and then realizes that there wasn't a light where her hand was and she had to go behind the door to turn the light on. I see this lovely little museum room and I walked in and I was like, everything in here is haunted. Literally, like everything that I'm looking at, what is happening? And of course, then it was explained to me what the room was. And I had a moment of hesitation, but honestly, there's a lot of energy work to keep that room warded so that things in there can't get out. And for someone who knows what they're looking at, that is very obvious. And I actually really like that room a lot. So that was our first day. We took showers. We heard doors closing. I don't recall exactly. And I'm hoping that I can get, I can actually either have Kat come on with me very we're both our schedules are crazy right now so it's hard sometimes to actually schedule getting together to share but I would like for her to share part of like her side of the experience I don't remember if we smelled cigar smoke that first night or not but just know disembodied cigar smoke happened and I will get into more of that later because it happened the next day which means that we have come to the end of the first day and that is my spooky story for the week to be continued next week Do you like spooky, supernatural, and darkly fantastical things? Are you a fan of horror with maybe a slight touch of romantic tension and a healthy dose of mystery? Then stories from the mind of author Diana Brock may be just what you're looking for. Right now, That Spooky Life listeners are being offered an exclusive discount at www.abernathybooks.com. Use promo code SPOOKYSIDE, all one word, to receive 15% off your entire purchase of $25 or more. Shop books, face masks, and the newest edition of t-shirts for your favorite book titles while supporting independent authors and creators. That's promo code SPOOKYSIDE, S-P-O-O-K-Y-S-I-D-E, all one word for 15% off your entire $25 or more purchase just for being spooky friends of the podcast. And dive in to even more paranormal and supernatural creations at abernathybooks.com. And don't forget to tell them you were sent from the spooky side. Which brings us to our spooky listener story for the week. And our listener story for the week comes from a dear friend of mine who I am going to refer to as Burton Face, because that 
is what his email title is. And he has sent us a story that I have not yet read. I am very much looking forward to it. And it's kind of been burning a hole in my pocket because I've left it unread. So it's like notified on my phone. I'm like, oh, I want to read you so bad, but I have to wait to record the podcast. So here we are. And I'm very excited. The name of Burton Face's story is The Heron and the Wren. Burton writes, I was probably six at the time, and my family was living in the suburbs of Memphis, Tennessee. The area was out by the hedgerows of the suburbs, where things started to get rural. There were a lot of heavily wooded areas nearby for me to explore, and my childhood memories of those explorations are some of the only happy memories I have of those times. I visited the area recently, and it seems like the city grew and swallowed the suburbs, and the suburbs grew into an endless sprawl swallowing the forests. The memories have slipped into that foggy place in my mind, as all memories must, with the passing of time. Still, they seem reliable enough. I have them to give substance to my years and make the uncertainty of the present a bit more bearable. Yet, after the most recent visit, the memories have become more like dreams. Fewer and fewer seem real, like they had been made up all along, to fill the darkness of those days with a bit of wonder, a bit of light. Yet one memory remains unchanged by the passing of time. Even though I could not, if I wanted to, and I most certainly would not, drive to the place where it happened and say, here it is, just as I said it was. It persists so terribly vividly in my mind's eye. Again, I was probably six at the time, and it was around Christmas. I know this because my mother had dragged me to church one evening for their choir practice. I remember the practice being unusually long, and the songs were all Christmas carols. There were other children whose mothers had dragged them to choir practice as well. We listened to the songs for a while. Even as children, we could get sick of hearing the same ones over and over again, especially when they were marred by the voice of my mother, a voice that had threatened my life too many times and cut a line of dread through the merry tunes. Most nights, we would eventually wander out of the sanctuary to play hide-and-seek in a Sunday school rooms. They were small, and the hiding places were limited. Once we found ourselves recycling hiding spots, we'd wander outside. The southern winters were mild, and we could play until the sun went down without much discomfort. I remember feeling restless that evening, but I don't remember why. The other children seemed to feel it, too. We hadn't stayed to hear the songs for very long at all, and had skipped hide-and-seek altogether. There was only an hour's worth of sunlight left before the cold and our childish fear of the dark would force us back inside to wait out choir practice in miserable boredom. We headed straight out into the forest that surrounded the small country church. There had been no discussion. We simply ran for the trees as fast as our little legs would take us. I wonder what it was that pulled us with such force toward that forest. Being children, our minds imagined monsters in the deep woods and we always kept our distance. But that evening, we ran hypnotized beyond our apprehensions as the sun began to disappear behind the trees. There was a thrill in it, to be sure. All of our faces were smiling wide, manic smiles that hid a looming terror behind them. Our eyes were wild. Our cheeks were flushed from the cold. Puffs of warm breath trailed behind us as we ran through the trees. I don't remember how far we went into the forest. Distance is not a reliable thing when pulled from childhood memories. Still, it seemed very far. We ran, swept along by some wild current until we came to a clearing. I will never forget what we found there. It was a house. Simple enough. Maybe not even a house. Maybe it was only a dilapidated old shack that seemed large enough to be a house, because I was so very small. The house had collapsed on one side. The attic, or what appeared to be the attic, was visible. 
My childish mind recounts it being filled with nothing more than trash and debris. We stood gopping at the sight of the old house for several minutes, each of us silent. I can recount the collapse derelict with perfect clarity in my mind's eye. Before that moment, I'd thought of home as being a place that would eternally be safe and impervious to the elements and time. Seeing that ruin, I imagined my home, the house in which I lived, as the skeletal remnant in the hidden clearing. It chilled me to the bone. I imagined all of my sacred playing spots being covered in dust and deserted for an endless age. The other children dared not approach. They challenged one another to move closer, and we made accusations of cowardice and mocked the stuff from which we were made. I would not enter the place. Not a chance in hell. But I did muster the nerve to venture to the far side of the building, keeping a safe distance as I circled around to the other side. There wasn't much to be seen. The windows were all clouded with dust. I tried not to imagine eyes watching me from the shadows inside. I lied to the other children, made up a terrible scene of animal blood smeared all over the doors, streaked about in strange infernal runes. They believed me, it seemed. One of them cried out and ran back into the woods in the direction of the church. The other children looked at one another for a moment, then took off after him. I panicked, realizing that I would be alone in the clearing, with a terrible old house in a matter of moments if I didn't follow. I ran alongside the house, an arm's length from the collapsed side. My eyes were on the bright red coat of the last of my companions as she ran from the clearing. I didn't want to lose sight of them in the dimming light, and I focused on that bright red like it was my only lifeline back to the world of things whole and inhabited. As I cleared the side of the house and ran past the porch, I saw a woman out of the corner of my eye. She was, from what I could tell, dressed in a gossamer white gown. Her hair was blonde and red, and her mouth was wide open. Her jaw dropped past her breasts in a silent and inhuman scream. I focused on the red coat bouncing through the woods. I dared not let my eyes take in the sight directly. It was only a second, maybe half a second sight of the figure and then out of the corner of my eye. But my mind has filled in the gaps over the years and rendered the whole of the image in horrific clarity through dreams and morbid musings. I ran after the other children and I never looked back. When the church was in sight, we ran all the way to the front doors, then down the hall past the Sunday school rooms and straight into the sanctuary. The minister of music was giving the choir his notes on the evening's rehearsal. We slid into the back row of seats and waited out the last few minutes in silence. Sometimes I'll dream. I may be sitting on a beach, watching a Mediterranean sunset and listening to the sound of some guitar pour down from the hills in the distance. Then out of the corner of my eye, I'll see her, just a little way down the beach. Before I can turn and look at her, I'll wake, crying out, having realized the terrible mistake I was about to make, had my mind not been so quick to protect itself. The colors change, fade, and obscure through the haze of time. The memory is framed by shadows in the fog. Any time before, I cannot remember anything in any amount of clarity. It's the same for most of the years thereafter. But that one evening stays so very vivid in the murk of fading memory, like stepping into a clearing. From that one night and through the haze of time, she followed. I don't know if she lives in the memory, returning there once every so often when she emerges to torment my present, or maybe she lives here in the now because I brought her with me, where she moves just out of sight on the peripheral of each moment, waiting so very patiently, as ghosts always do, until such a time as I need to be reminded that memories can, just as old houses, be haunted. God! Okay. Um, 
that's an entire mood. And I super regret the fact that I record these things at night because at some point I'm going to have to turn out the lights here and attempt to sleep. But um, the idea of things haunting through time through mem that that was a concept I did not need in my life. Uh, thank you for that. And holy shiitake, that was um, that was an amazing story. Thank you for sharing that. I am thoroughly shooketh at this point. And uh, yeah, if you have any more stories, please, please send in. You, mmm, mmm, mmm. First of all, it was hilarious. There's something relevant to the whole, oh yeah, it's just covered in animal blood and there's like these weird demonic runes happening and all this stuff. And then you're like, and they're like, yeah. And you're like, fuck, don't leave me alone. Oh my God, what is that? And, like the entirety of this story is both deeply terrifying, but like also ever so slightly in that one spot, hilarious. Something like that kind of happened to me recently. And I think it's the next episode that I'm sharing that. But when pranks go wrong, just saying. But yeah, that is, thank you for sharing that. And I don't, I'm obviously not speechless because I'm talking, but like there's, there's like white snow static in my brain going, because I'm like, I don't fuck all of that. Fuck that. And that is our listener story for the week. Which brings us to our witchy tip. And it is the episode in the cycle that we come to the birthstone of the month. Eventually, we're going to get through all 12 months and I'm going to have to start cycling through other stones. But I figure since we just started doing this recently, I think this is our fifth because it is the fifth month, that uh, we'll ride it as long as she lasts and then we'll figure it out from there. So happy May. Happy birthday to anyone who has birthdays in May. And your birthstone, most traditionally, is emerald. I have some of my information today from the Crystal Vaults catalog. I have actually loaned out my encyclopedia of crystals. I will be getting that back soon, I hope. But some of this information comes from crystalvaults.com forward slash crystal dash encyclopedia if you have interest in continued reading on emerald or any other stone. Not sponsored, just using some of the information, so I want to make sure I am giving credit where it is due. So while emerald, the green variety of beryl, may perhaps be the most famous of the family, beryl also forms in other colors used as gems, such as blue aquamarine, yellow heliodor, and golden beryl, pink morganite, red beryl, or bixbite, and the colorless variety, Goshenite. Emerald is an excellent stone for reviving passion, whether for an interest, a person, or a job. It is associated with romantic love. To wear or carry an emerald out of sight near the heart is recommended. To call back an estranged love, which, by the way, consent is key, and I don't feel like this is a good thing. I am just reading the crystal vaults it says to call back an estranged love speak the words you wish to say holding the stone close to your lips and seal it in an envelope if appropriate send it to the person with a message eh, i mean okay that doesn't doesn't necessarily violate consent just be careful i don't like stuff like that i don't like love spells just because it consent is key this is one of those i guess that would be more like if you love something let it go if it loves you it will come back maybe but like also who got an emerald to fucking put in a letter and send to somebody like i ain't made of that kind of money 
So, grain of salt. In tumblestone form, emerald promotes good self-esteem, especially in restoring the confidence of young ladies that have been teased about their weight or any young... This is really specific. Either way, emerald is known to be associated with true love, true deep love. Not just romantic love, but like, it's why the first thing said, you know, passion for an interest, a person, or a job. Like, it's it's love. It's not just the romantic, sexy kind of love. It is love. Something that you love to do. Something, some place that you want to go. Someone that you love, be it platonic or romantically. It is also, I mean, I know if I was wearing an emerald, like a really nice, like emerald cut, clear, high carat emerald, I'd feel pretty good about myself too. Just saying. So it's known to, to have associations with good self-esteem, which I would argue is also a form of love because that is self-love and you should always love yourself. And if you love yourself, you have good self-esteem, etc., which everyone should have. And I hope that you all do. It also tends to have or be associated with having a calming effect on the emotions. And it says here it has an invigorating effect on thought reflection and philosophy. It is a marvelous crystal for activating artistic creativity and for bringing focus and intensity into one's life work. Well, that's really cool. I know it's also associated with the heart stone, which is where all the love comes in, love and passion and things like that. So the, the heart center or, or chakra as some say, but like it's associated with the heart. So that's where all the passion and love come from. I do find it interesting though that it all it lists here that it increases mental acuity, strengthens memory, and inspire eloquence in speech. But I would again argue that if you're passionate about something, then you're going to remember it more. You're going to be more intensely invested in it, which is the mental acuity, and inspires eloquence in speech. Well, if you feel strongly about something. Some of these things, though, as always, take with a grain of salt. Because it says, uh... Emerald or tumblestone held for five minutes a day brings rapid recall of facts and is ideal for occupations where visionary insight is a significant benefit. Your mileage may vary. That may work perfectly for you with an emerald. You may also hold an emerald for five minutes a day and it have literally no effect. I've said it before, I'll say it again. To some people, rocks are just rocks. No judgment. If that works for you, awesome. I don't necessarily see that working for me, but if I ever come across a nice emerald, I will let you guys know and I'll test it out and we'll revisit. Because it is associated with the heart center, emerald is said to bring a soothing mental and emotional equilibrium, making it extremely beneficial in stimulating cooperation and understanding within a group of people. And that, I think, is, again, your mileage may vary, but that's what I've heard most frequently about it. Also, it bears mentioning that Mama Spooky, my mother, uh, loves emerald. So I know a lot about it. I've seen a lot of emerald cuts. I'm familiar with the different tones, how they can be ever so slightly more blue, ever so slightly more yellow, but there is that one crystal clear emerald green, and I personally think they're beautiful. So that is emerald and our witchy tip for the day. And I hope that you have enjoyed and had a wonderful celebration of Taurus into Gemini season and happy May birthdays, everyone. So Thank you for tuning in. And if you have a spooky story, such as Burton's face or Louise from last week or 13 or Astrid and Diana, any of our beloved listeners, all of the wonderful spooky people from from over the last few years, if you have 
a short story, a long story, and wish to join the spooky side, please send your stories to that spooky life podcast at gmail.com. I am always excited to read them. Like I said, I read them live when I record them so that you guys can get my genuine reactions. And thank you again to Burton Face for the ridiculous chills. And I'm going to try and not think about that while I'm going to bed tonight. Fun spooky times. If you guys are interested in social media stuff, it is all, as always, down in the description. I would love for you to come join us on Facebook. We have a good time. Our Facebook group is super cool, super nice folks. It's also not very spammy. Like we have, we get links, we have conversations. It's a great time, but like it's not going to blow up your notifications, which is excellent. And I love that. Thank you again to Burton Face and thank you, dear spooky listener, for tuning in. But I must remind you, my dearest, darlingest, spookiest friend, do not forget to keep living that spooky life. And I will talk to you next week. Bye.